Hello, I'm your host Sadhvik Chavi, and today we are going to talk about what has changed a year after the erstwhile state of Jammu and Kashmir was downgraded to a federally governed territory. We have on board with us Roman Muni, who runs Malik and Roman Law Firm and is a lawyer at the High Court. Hello, Mr. Roman. Uh, hi, Sadhvik. Mr. Raman, what has changed legally since the Jammu and Kashmir Reorganisation Act was passed? Sir, the Reorganisation Act, as you must be aware, that you know after August five, a lot of things happened in Jammu and Kashmir, and especially on thirty uh, first of October two thousand and nineteen, the Reorganisation Act became applicable throughout the uh, Union territory of Jammu and Kashmir and in Ladakh as well. Majorly, the Act gives us provisions, almost one hundred three provisions, which are related to the state of Jammu and Kashmir, and through Section ninety five of the same Act. Uh, a lot of laws, almost one hundred six laws, have been introduced in the state of Jammu and Kashmir, which are earlier the Central Acts, and uh, around one fifty three state laws have been repealed, and some of the sections, as in some of the acts, almost one sixty six are still applicable in the state of Jammu and Kashmir, which includes the Governor Acts as well, which are already there. So these are some of the technical changes that were brought about by the Reorganisation Act. Uh, see, sir, but a lot of acts were not applicable in the state of Jammu and Kashmir earlier, mostly uh, with the Central Acts, which include the Domestic Violence Act. a lot of other acts also like for example the the family court act wasn't applicable here and recently the family court has been set up which could have been only possible because of the reorganization acts since it came in jammu and kashmir so there are a lot of things we can't say whether they are good or uh, bad for the state or whether they'll be beneficial in any way or not which only time can tell but as we can see a lot of changes have been brought about and uh, which are very much visible in the beginning tenth year at the moment so mr roman why were state laws repealed under the act when in some cases these laws were stronger than the central laws See, we can't really comment on that. We can't say that the state laws were stronger. See, I'll tell you the contract that the, the the state of Jammu and Kashmir had the Contract Act, the JK Contract Act, which was very much applicable in the state of Jammu and Kashmir. But it still got repealed, and uh, the Central Act got applied in the state of Jammu and Kashmir. But if we get into the details, if we check the act, they're pretty much the same. There is not a great difference between the content of both acts. But since what uh, this Reorganisation Act brought about in our state is that brought about a unification. throughout the india and laws which were applicable throughout the india now are applicable in the state of jammu and kashmir so we can't really say what were uh, what all uh, laws were stronger in the state of jammu and kashmir and what all are not but yes there is a unification now and the same laws the central acts which are now applicable are applicable throughout the india so uh, mr roman the jk rti act is one such law why was this law not protected as we have 153 other state laws that were not repealed on 5th august See, again if you check the acts the rti act which is applicable centrally and the rjk rti act which was ap- applicable uh, before the reorganization act so both of these acts are pretty much the same there is not a great difference between both of them but however as i said they wanted to bring out a unification they want a uniform code throughout the india and that is why this has happened otherwise the sections the laws are pretty much the same in both acts moreover the the legal fees that we need to pay, pay for uh, getting an rti done has uh, been reduced now it is almost four times lesser than what we you know used to get for, as for the jk act interesting so mr roman several existing laws were altered since 5th august what impact will this have on how the erstwhile state has functioned 
See, it's a very interesting question which has its own uh, pros as well as its cons. See, for example, uh, the Mining Act initially, you know, I think in the beginning of this year, we got to know that the Mining Act has been repealed and a lot of changes were made in the mining laws of the state of Jammu and Kashmir. So, uh, this has its own pros and cons. I can't really say whether it has only pros or only cons. See, for example, I tell you one thing. Uh, the mining law which was introduced, it made a lot of things easier as in uh, a lot of people from outside Kashmir can now compete which can increase the competition, which can make good the, the te techniques that are applicable, which were used and things can be done a little uh, quicker than they were done earlier. So a lot of things have changed, but as far as the locals are concerned, now they have to compete with the uh, people from outside India, as in from outside Jammu and Kashmir, and uh, which might affect their bread and butter. A lot of changes, See, for example, the Mining Act wasn't as in there were a lot of changes that were brought about in this law. The, the mining law which got introduced made it a lot easier for the outside to compete with the locals which definitely and directly affects the bread and butter of the locals which is which may or may not prove beneficial for the locals but on the other side you know a lot of techniques can be introduced a lot of competition may result in uh, the work getting done easier as in a very less time so uh, this is one thing you know as in one introduction one uh, change that was brought about by the reorganization and apart from it as we can see now we have the Jammu and Kashmir International Arbitration Center and we have the family court available in Jammu and Kashmir now. Apart from that, we have Central Administrative Tribunal Act, which wasn't applicable earlier. And we have the Juvenile Justice Act and the Prohibition of Child Marriage Act and various other acts. Especially, you know, I've recently dealt with a lot of cases. I've recently started working in Jammu and Kashmir. And surprisingly, I got to know a lot about the exploitation and violation of the women rights in Kashmir. It's happening at a major level in Kashmir. And with the advent and with the introduction of the Domestic Violence Act 2005 in Jammu and Kashmir, it can be beneficial for the women of Jammu and Kashmir in a great way. So now they can file for compensation which wasn't available earlier. The list goes on. There are a lot of laws which weren't applicable earlier but now are applicable which have their own pros and cons. That's very interesting. So uh, Mr. Raman, there are apprehensions after the centre recently imposed new land laws allowing any citizen to buy land in Kashmir. How does one make sense of this law? Are there similar laws protecting local rights in any part of India? Yeah, uh, there are places like Himachal Pradesh where the local land is protected and people from outside can't buy the land. And similarly, those laws were also available for us. So section 17, as we recently got to know, section 17 of the JK Development Act, which dealt with the disposal of land, has now been amended. And the phrase uh, permanent resident of the state has been omitted. So which makes it a lot easier for people from outside India, as in from outside Jammu and Kashmir to purchase land in India. And uh, honestly, we don't know whether uh, they will be beneficial or whether they won't be beneficial. We have on board Sarvar Malik, Managing Director of Proactive Premium Water with us. Hello Mr. Malik. Hello everyone. Mr. Malik, how has abrogation and the subsequent lockdowns hit Kashmir's economy? Whenever something happens in Kashmir, it directly affects their economy. So previously, if we see what happens in last one or two decades, it was itself horrible. But then things started changing in 2016, we had around growth rate of 20%, which is good enough, which is better than the national average. But now you see we have a dropping growth rate that stagnated uh, at around 5 to 6%. And our GDP has gone down below. And we are not contributing even 1% to the national economy, national GDP. That means we are at loss. So ultimately when we are at loss, so the income per capita income, it goes down. The employment rate goes up. So right now we have 
employment rate of around 70%, which is double the national average, which is worst in the world. And at the same time, when we see youngsters who are unemployed, they don't know anything. They do not contribute to the society. They do not contribute to the economy. And at the end, there's no money. There's nothing. People are suffering. There's no development, nothing. So this has happened. And we had lots of hopes after 2016, what happened in 2016. It was a huge dent for the economy. And after that, we had business community. Every businessman has its own liabilities. Not only banks, but employees, market, lots of things are there. After 2016, we had a bank restructuring which contributed the interest of 18 months and which we had to pay in 2019 so you should see december 2019 we have to pay the losses of 2016 and in august 2019 we had a different lockdown so in that lockdown also we were paying the emis of the the losses we are we made mm -hmm. in 2016 so think we had a lockdown within lockdown and then we had again lockdown that was covid so we had to go through three lockdowns at one time and that's very bad for economy very interesting. <laughs> uh, one of the reasons given for the abrogation was that Article 370 prevented development of the region even though the region has done better on development indicators than many other states. And now development is being presented as a solution to all of JNK's problems. What explains this politicization of development? I think it's politics and nothing else because no one asked business fraternity before abrogating the article 370 because as far as I know we had lots of hopes because they gave us hopes that they are going for a biggest development package and we were hoping for that so we kept silent we didn't ask for anything we waited patiently and after some time we came to know that we have to again pay the losses and there's nothing the government can do because at the end we need money to run the business this is the simple and basic thing that we need money infusion, capital infusion, we need interest waivers, we need lots of development packages. Where are those policy makers who said after abrogation of Article 370, we are going to have development package. Can they tell me after introducing the budget, which promises around 38,000 crores for the development, can they tell me how much they have particularly allotted for the losses we made after 2016 and in August and recently we came to know that they are going to give us 2% of interest subvention which is nothing. We demanded from here that there, sh there was a loss of around 17,000 crores in just article time. For around five months, we suffered losses of 17,000 crores. Then after COVID, it rose up to 40,000 crores. So that means our GDP is shrinking by minus or three or minus two percent. So what about these 40,000 crore losses? They should compensate these losses. If there is a development, they have to give us these 40,000, not only 40,000, but they have promised it a lot apart from this. And when I saw the budget, they have allotted around 500 crores for the industries and not, not even thinking about the technology upgradation what about the youngsters where's the youth policy see if they want development they should give us a youth policy have they even mentioned the word youth in their budget there's nothing for that i think that they should designate a panel with all stakeholders even in youngsters traditional businessmen right now who are doing business they should frame a committee and they should talk with them because when they don't talk with us they don't 
know the problems what are the basic problems and in the recent jk industrial policy after ut there is a very slight change we expected a lot we expected they should frame such policies which would cover the losses of whole decade but if you see the if you go through the jk industrial policy after ut you'll see there's there's not a single change a minute change is there which does not affect so i think right now the problem is that we are least developed state or union terrain and dire country we are at the lowest when it comes to the growth rate we are we are lagging behind if i compare kashmir with bihar bihar is doing better the gdp of bihar is around 6.5 lakh crores our gdp is just stagnated at 1 lakh crore that bihar is doing six times better than us so compare when you have a tourism industry when you have uh, lots of natural resources when you have a better service industry we can do a lot but we are i don't know what policies they frame we are stagnated at one point of time and we are not doing any kind of expansion because in business in economy when you invest in something you need to have expansion like after 2 years you should expand the business you should not go down but we are at that point only no expansion we are just paying the losses there's no package there's no capital infusion there are no interest waivers yeah there are interest subventions but it's not a waiver it's a subvention i don't think that there is any kind of development after kashmir became ut mr malik has there been any major developmental activity post abrogation Yes, when the budget came, it was a you know one of the best budgets Kashmir has ever seen with a such handsome amount of money, and they designated around thirty-eight thousand crore for the development. But after that, you know the problems, the disturbances which occurred was due to COVID, and we couldn't see the development as of now. But at the same time, I think that they should have at least focused on the bank part. Suppose what the government gave us the moratorium period of uh, six months. Moratorium means you don't have to pay the EMIs, you don't have to pay anything to the bank, but you have to pay the interest part of it. So at the end, bank is getting their interest; they are at the safer side. But we are not at the safer because we have to earn the interest. What we were expecting that government will come up with such a package which would compensate at least the interest part of the bank. Rest we know that the conditions are very bad. We will not uh, just say that government could do anything because government was already busy with COVID. But now things are changing. Every country is going on a better pace. They are coming back. Recently, I heard a news that the government uh, got a great amount of GST collection. So where is that money? Where is that development package? Is it only on numbers, or we will see? Yeah, we got a package for service sector that was just thirteen hundred crores. If you distribute those thirteen hundred crores, it is not even one thousand rupees per head of any uh, local businessman. I would now like to bring in Fahad Shah, editor in chief of the Kashmir Wala. Hello, Fahad. Hi, hi, Sarvath. How are you? I'm good. So, Fahad, how can we describe the current security situation? Well, the current situation, I think, uh, since post August two thousand nineteen, the situation has been uh, really unpredictable and different. Because uh, what the BJP and the central government said that after the abrogation, things will start easing and there will be return of peace in J and K, but it hasn't happened. The militancy figures are still rising. There have been a lot of gunfights in last few months. There have been arrests, as we saw immediately after August two thousand nineteen, and then mainstream politicians have been in detention and. 
and the last politician to be released was Mahbuba Mufti, former CM, after 14 months detention. And there are still a lot of people who are under various acts have been booked. And in the last few months, I think there have been several occasions when there was some kind of violence, when there were uh, injuries and there were arrests or the killings also. I think the situation considerably has not changed much. It has been the same and uh, there is still a huge number of militancy activities in terms of gunfights or the attacks that have been happening. Interesting. Fahad, the government of India has claimed that Article 370 led to militancy in Kashmir. Is there merit to this argument? I don't think uh, there's merit. The government had said that Article 370 was the reason for the militancy. I think we need to go a little back because uh, there is a political history that uh, is the context for whatever is happening today in JNK, which is the main dispute, the issue, the conflict that started in 1947. And then there were political movements uh, for uh, several decades. Then after the rigging of elections in 1987, there was a phase of militancy which still continues. And that is the main reason there has been militancy. So whether the Article 370 remains or changes, I think the militancy will remain unaffected. And we have seen that happening post-August 2019, that uh, there are still local youth who are still joining militancy and uh, security and the authorities, agencies are have been fighting against these militants for a very long time. And in the recent times, there have been several small-time attacks also. Even though there have been uh, some times when the few of the militants have surrendered, there has been a huge campaign going around uh, by the government, by the army that the newly recruited militants can surrender and they will be let go home. But despite that, despite the enormous threat and uh, vigilance and the reaction uh, by the government forces, there are still several number of youth who are joining and uh, I believe as per several reports, there are several people who are missing and most of these people are very young. So I, I, I have no reason to believe that Article 370 was responsible for militancy in JNK. So has the militancy been impacted substantially post-abrogation? As I said before, I don't think militancy has been uh, massively affected because uh, earlier there was a phase when uh, there was curfew and clampdown and communication blackout for several months. During that time, a lot of news was not coming out. And I think uh, now the thing that the militants used to do before posting pictures on social media and announcing that they are joining has also stopped for some time. But if we look at the militancy figures, there is still considerable number of recruitment in the militancy and even though there have been a lot of militants uh, which have been killed and the age of a militant after a person joins has been uh, very low like four months five months or one year but despite all of these things uh, people are still joining and I think uh, there is a reason that the militancy will not be affected by all these things and maneuvers is because there is a political conflict and I think until and unless there is no political engagement that this issue is not being addressed politically we will continue see seeing this armed militancy and the violence between the government forces and the militancy or the militant attacks. So there has to be a political way out for all of this. Is it not something that was already in Ole before the abrogation? There was much publicized operation all out which led to the crushing of the militancy. That was before 370. Yes, I think the massive, like, you know, the, as you said, the operation all out started in 2017. I think after the 2016 civilian uprising, that's when it started that there were a huge number of gunfights were happening and there was a militant outfits were largely impacted. Mainly the Hizb was affected. A lot of their uh, militants were killed or the 
senior militants who had been there for a very long time they were killed also but that is the point that even though that happened for two years 2017 18 and half of 2019 it continued the government's uh, strict policy against militancy despite that today in uh, 2020 we are seeing rising figures in militancy we are still seeing that gunfights are increasing we are seeing that there are local recruits continuously joining because there is kind of anger and sense of alienation has grown post abrogation of article 370 and that's why it needs a political engagement rather than a military engagement so what do you see the alienation post abrogation creating a new fertile ground for militancy Yes I do because as I said that there is a sense of alienation has increased because institutions have been impacted as we have seen it didn't stop at uh, 5th of August 2019 it continued the mainstream unionist politicians who were fighting elections in the name of India and they were in alliance with the BJP the ruling party they were jailed they were detained for like more than a year and several politicians were put in jail so that kind of increased that even the unionist politics the mainstream politicians have been sidelined now and everything is being done directly by new delhi and there is another aspect to it that there in the administration also there is a kind of alienation you know the people do not find any sympathetic approach from the administration towards their issues people are feeling more and more alienated and uh, when there are all these things in the backdrop so it does make a ground fertile for something like militancy when militancy is already existing in the region and it can happen in any conflict whether it is in middle east or anywhere this has been seen before also that when there is a conflict and there is gun from both sides in a conflict even a single spark can intensify the situation in the armed conflict fat post abrogation the government has introduced new policies to deny funerals and bodies of local militants what impact will this have well uh, i think it started uh, before abrogation i think there was some talk of not letting the people have these large massive funerals of the militants because it was seen to some level that it was inspiring other young people and the funerals were becoming a kind of place from where new militants were joining because of the whole massive celebration you can say that was coming out of these funerals when a militant was killed there was heroism in militancy and uh, these young people were Uh, feeling dignity by joining militancy and dying in the path and after the covid-19 in march 2020 when there was a lockdown for covid-19 the government said that we are not allowing funerals because of covid-19 but i think there was the first funeral happened in sopur when there were a huge number of people attended that funeral and it was during the covid-19 lockdown and immediately after that the government said will not return the bodies it's helped government in two ways one that they could justify because of the covid-19 lockdown and the other that they were successful in stopping these funeral processions becoming something an heroic event that was inspiring other young people but in overall what impact does it have on people and their families is that it just adds to the alienation because when you will not allow someone to bury their loved ones even if they are militants or anything else and the people are watching that it just adds to the alienation that look now people are dying and the funerals are also not allowed i think that is the main impact that comes out of it i would like to bring in adnan ashraf spokesperson for people's conference hello and welcome to our podcast mr ashraf thank you for having me so mr ashraf what was gained over the past decades politically in kashmir and what has it lost after the abrogation of the article 370 
Uh, Sarwat, if you see uh, the two decades po- uh, post-1990, when uh, the politics was fractured, uh, the state was going through tumultuous times, there was a lot of violence. Post-2002 elections, there was uh, some continuity to the democratic processes. Uh, we had, uh, you know, the 2008 elections and 2014 elections taking place, where the parties were trying to uh, break away from, from the past of violence and move towards uh, uh, an era of development. Uh, this, uh, you know, we had even the panchayat elections, even before uh, in 2008, I think in 2010, probably. Uh, so there was, you know, gradual devolution of power that was happening organically without the center have, having to sort of re-inject it. Uh, and and the uh, the process uh, the this this process uh, or this hope in uh, in in a future which is going to be peaceful uh, if we are to uh, you know uh, continue this democratic uh, traditions. But August five, uh, to be honest, was 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 like a death blow, was a death warrant for uh, all the work uh, for democracy for uh, this, this devolution of powers, uh, for, for the institution uh, of democracy. Uh, in one stroke, uh, all the work that was, that was done in the past decades, um, you know, mind you, uh, the mainstream politicians have put their lives and, 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 and families at stake uh, uh, pursuing this, this idea of, of uh, democratic and secular India. Uh, the August 5 decisions proved to be spiteful and uh, with the way uh, the entire mainstream was treated, was, was locked up for uh, some, some were locked up for a year, some were locked up, you know, outside JNK. Uh, it, it completely uh, desecrated uh, the sense of uh, or, or, or the feel for democracy. It, uh, it, it, it broke the back of the work that was that was being put in uh, for the last two three decades, uh, it, it took away the credibility of uh, the the sense of credibility, whatever sense of credibility the mainstream politicians had uh, garnered for this concept. Uh, it basically, you know, uh, put an end to uh, the politics of of development that the mainstream uh, was hoping to enter and it pushes us back to uh, to a time you know where the politics has has to be redefined and reinvented uh, in terms of showing resistance to uh, political resistance to uh, to to the events of august 5 and the orders that we have seen uh, after that uh, this past one year has been uh, you know has been a watershed both in terms of uh, how uh, you know the center has 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 uh, been an aggressor, and both how the mainstream would would react to the to to these insurmountable challenges that are being thrown at them, but the Gupkar Declaration is is uh, uh, is is you know one of the ways uh, or probably one of the answers we have to go beyond uh, that, of course. But uh, as of now, uh, uh, you know, uh, we see hope in a collective effort. What do you think is the future of the unionist politicians? 
you see uh, if you are being honest uh, uh, the uh, uh, the stock for you know for these unionist politicians as you frame them uh, or pro democracy politicians as i would like to frame them uh, they face they like i said you know they face tremendous challenges uh, both in terms of you know their their politics um as well as you know their credibility as leaders uh what has happened in on august 5 and how these leaders were treated um post that has shook off a lot of you know uh, fake belief that uh, some of these politicians may have had or the entire may, mainstream probably you know may have had uh, uh, before august 5 so the future is uh, is in in a collective effort i guess you know uh, the fight is much bigger than all of us put together so uh, the response to this fight has to be um, you know uh, quite a quite a collective one um, so uh, so you know individually uh, if you see uh, there may not be a lot of scope uh and space for for politics uh because you know delhi is 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 trying hard to disempower you disenfranchise you um you know it's pursuing fake cor- corruption um cases uh against these leaders there is a lot of covert and overt pressure put on these leaders but uh the uh, uh you know uh, the the response has to be a collective one because uh you know we 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 should not let our differences um come 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 in the way um and and for sort of facilitating uh, outsiders coming and ruling us and slandering us and humiliating us so the future has to be a collective effort everybody has to realize that this moment is 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 for everybody to put put their heads together and uh, pursue a common agenda So since the abrogation there is a political vacuum in the region mm-hmm. how is the government of india trying to fill it you see uh, the vacuum is absolute it's not just political um, you know there is no dialogue uh, not even with the, the the common people of kashmir uh, let alone with with the political leadership uh, the administration if if you see you know uh, right from your lg to uh to the heads of the departments you 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 know your paper has reported how you have only a handful of kashmiri muslims uh in the bureaucracy in the decision making uh circles you have your business community you know you hear about now uh the land mafia coming from outside of jnk uh to extract land and other resources so uh, the vacuum is, is not just political the vacuum is absolute in kashmir and government of india uh, is 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 doing a lot of things uh, to fill that vacuum or to confuse people uh, or to you know to divert attention uh, from from the real issue uh, you had uh, these domicile rules uh, framed by the center first uh, you where you had some you know they they claim that they have put some semblance of job guarantees for uh for the local domiciles uh then you had 
other orders. Uh, uh, you have to, you today have these land laws. Uh, so the government, uh, in terms of administration, is trying to uh, trying to fill their agenda of uh, diluting this issue um, and converting this this fight or taking this fight to the offices of the Tasildar, to the offices of the district commissioner, to SP offices, uh, while, you know, you may lose lose sight of the bigger option. Political, like I said, there is a lot of covert and overt pressure. Uh, however, we haven't seen, um, you know, any, any uh, hint or uh, any statement from the government of India uh, where, you know, we... we we could we could think that they uh, they want to change track or they want to engage uh, in a political dialogue. We haven't seen, and we shouldn't. In my opinion, we shouldn't be begging for a dialogue. To uh, the uh, the uh, the moment right now for us is to consolidate and you know get together our opinions and thoughts, um, in in like we're doing with the People's Alliance, and uh, make it stronger and you know. Uh, the time for the political outreach would definitely come. You know, it wouldn't. Uh, the political vacuum is unsustainable. Uh, so uh, we're we're hoping that you know whenever that opportunity for dialogue comes, we are absolutely ready to participate in that. Mr. Ashraf, on October 16, Centre amended Panchayati Raj Act to form district development councils in Jammu and Kashmir. How do you see this? You see, uh, the government uh, has it has has said that they want to have grassroots democracy. You know, uh, tier three democracies, uh, where the powers are there is devolution of powers and responsibilities, and uh, the uh, districts get to uh, decide where the development funds need need to go. Uh, per se, uh, there is nothing wrong. Uh, with having a tier three uh, type democracy, where powers are are uh, there is a devolution of powers from the assembly uh, to the uh, uh, to to the lower levels of of and institutions of democracy, but the problem is that uh, the assembly of JNK has been um, you know um, hasn't been there since two thousand eighteen. Uh, it's been more than two, two and a half years uh, since uh, the people have been given a chance uh, to elect their own representatives or those um, to, 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 to the local assembly. When uh, you, you, you don't have the higher institutions of democracy, when you don't have uh, uh, an assembly uh, in the state, uh, uh, conducting these elections makes little sense when you know uh, the assembly is not there. Uh, but then there is another argument uh, which says that you know uh, this is the RSS's plan uh, to uh, sort of break down the Kashmir issue into uh, little constituencies and divisions, and they have their own uh, elected uh, representatives there would sort of um, wish away the Kashmir problem. Uh, I uh, really believe that this idea that, you know, the uh, leadership uh, is going to come from the grassroots and is going to replace the existing leadership, uh, uh, which happens to be, you know, in the form of the People's Alliance, uh, is, 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 you know, you cannot be uh, farther from, from the truth. 
uh, if uh, a district uh, if if a zila parishad uh, chairman uh, or, or or the sarpanch in in gujarat cannot replace mr amitsha or mr modi how can um, uh, you know a district president replace mr farooq abdullah or ms mahbooba mufti so uh, uh, conducting these elections at this time when you know the assembly is not there um, you know you 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 can't help yourself but to question the intentions behind this decision uh, what will be the impact of these new political structures on the existing political structure that was extracted before 5th august 2019 ideally ideally you know this would have been uh, the next step uh, had had there had the political process been 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 normal and you know you had had the uh, the elected representatives uh, sitting in an assembly then only devolution of powers makes sense uh, but right now in uh, in this scenario uh, where you don't have the upper body uh the election the elections to these district bodies uh is you know going to do little to change uh the politics uh, on ground so i don't see uh, it as a conflicting uh thought or or something conflicting between the grassroots uh leaders and 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 the leaders who uh, sit in the assemblies ideally it's a continuation and 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 devolution that needs to happen but uh, this is not the perfect uh, scenario where uh, this should have happened and uh, these elections uh, like in 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 2008 or 2009 uh, when they were conducted by the state government these uh, elections are in the purview of of the state and should ideally be uh you know organize or conducted uh, when we have a state government so mr ashraf the center has notified new laws on purchase of land in jammu and kashmir paving the way for any citizen of india to buy land in jammu and kashmir what will be its impact and fallout uh you see uh, uh the this issue of land uh and jobs uh, have been you know uh, zealously guarded by the people of kashmir uh for for decades now uh when the uh, domicile laws were introduced um the center at that time had um, you know uh, had some criteria uh for uh, becoming a domicile of jnk uh which included you know probably spending 15 years here uh but but with these laws uh, what the government has done is uh, taken all restrictions on the purchase of land by any citizen of india which means you know you don't have to be a domicile of jnk neither a you know permanent resident of uh, the erstwhile state of J- jnk uh, uh to purchase land um in you know J- jk um, and ladakh uh this is you know uh, absolutely unacceptable because uh, these laws are introduced unrecognizably uh, by a government which is not formed by the people of jnk uh, which doesn't have the moral support of the people of jnk and uh, these laws not just you know the land laws that um, are introduced today 
the the laws uh, that were passed or the amendments and decisions taken post 5 august uh, they they are meant to unrecognizably change uh, the destiny of the people of kashmir uh, which we would res- resist politically um, as well as you know uh, we'll have to find other means uh, to resist uh, and and all these laws including today's remain unacceptable thanks a lot mr roman mr malik mr ashraf and fahad and thanks to our listeners for listening to this podcast you can visit our website we are an independent media house and you can go to the section called members you can join there and help us by supporting us because you are the only people that can keep independent journalism alive